And if we haven't had the chance to meet before, my name is Bryce. I serve here as our pastoral intern, which means two things. Number one, I get to learn from some of the best of the best in the likes of Chad Myers, Trevor Miller, who you heard from a second ago, and Jeff Kersey. It also means I get to share from God's word with uh, our congregation here in the sanctuary as well as in the contemporary room from time to time. And I am excited for the message that God has laid on my heart to give to his people. He's been preaching it to me all week, and I'm excited to share it with you today. And as the screens just showed, we've been in this series called Beating the Odds. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. We've had some incredible, incredible messages about how we can beat the odds in certain areas of our life. And whether you're here in person with us, or whether you're watching through a screen right now, I want you to understand that Mount Horeb is a home for you. Mount Horeb is a place that you can tune in virtually and you can come physically and learn how to beat the odds in the parts of your life Monday through Saturday and even on Sunday. And I'm excited to share with you this morning about how we beat the odds in our time. How do we beat the odds when it comes to using our time wisely that we have here on earth? You see, some of us have a really healthy relationship with time. We would consider ourselves punctual people day to day. We try to make the most of every second that we get, but we probably have that friend or maybe that family member who tends to show up late from time to time. Maybe you're sitting next to that person right now. You can give them a nudge if so. Maybe you are that person right now. And trust me, there's no judgment here if you are. I was reading this funny story online this week of this guy named Mark. And Mark had this tendency, like I said, to show up late from time to time, especially to work in the morning. You see, he would always sleep in a little too late. He wouldn't listen to his alarm when it went off. And he got himself out of bed, but he was always late to work. And so his boss got frustrated with him one day after this being a consistent thing, and he called Mark into his office. He said, Mark, I'm going to have to fire you if you can't get here on time. So you need to change something about your morning routine to get here when you need to. And so Mark actually went to his doctor right after that conversation, and he said, doctor, here's what I need. I need you to give me something that's going to help me show up on time because my boss is about to fire me from my work. And so he gave him this pill and he said, Mark, if you take this pill before bed, you will have your problem fixed and you'll be able to get to work on time. And so Mark took the pill before bed and he woke up feeling fresh the next morning, right on time that he needed to. He ate a leisurely breakfast, excited. He he, he drove to work cheerfully and he walked right into his boss's office and he said, Mr. Johnson, his boss's name, Mr. Johnson, I am here on time. Aren't you proud of me? I figured it out. And Mr. Johnson said, that is awesome. But where were you at yesterday? You see, Mark had a trouble showing up on time. And that's one story of many that maybe some of us can relate to. We, we live in a culture where we're looking for a quick fix to our problem. And I believe that many of us have been stuck in that mindset when it comes to beating the odds in our time that we are looking for certain ways to fix our issue without consulting the word of God. And this morning, that's what I believe God has tasked us to do together. So I wanna lay a foundation for you Before we jump into a few different scripture passages this morning that we're going to look at, there's one verse in scripture, Psalm chapter 90. If you've got a Bible, you can turn there with me. Psalm chapter 90, I believe verse 12 lays a foundation if we're going to beat the odds in our time. And here's what it says. Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. Today, I believe God's desire is to help his people grow in wisdom. As in just a few moments, we're going to look into a few different stories in the life of Jesus Christ, because I believe that Jesus Christ is the wisest man that's ever walked this earth. And I believe that he's the one we need to look at when it comes to how do we beat the odds 
in our time. But before we get there, we have to understand just how, as this verse says, how brief life truly is. It was January 26th, 2020, just over a year ago today. And we had just come off of an incredible confirmation retreat weekend for our eighth grade students. We, we, we all went away about an hour away for the weekend, Friday through Sunday. And we spent some really intentional time with our eighth grade students. And at the end of all of it, I was excited. It was probably the best weekend of my life. I saw 14 students in eighth grade commit their lives to Christ for the first time. I saw many, many other students on that trip rededicate their lives in some form or fashion to Christ. And now many of them are walking with him in a new light on a new path. And I'm excited for it even now over, over a year later. But I was coming off of that weekend. I was high on energy. I was in, in, in incredible in many, many ways. It was an awesome weekend. Now, I remember I, I went to Moe's here in Lexington with my family and I was sitting down at lunch with them and I was telling them about everything we had seen God do this past weekend. And then at one point in the meal, my dad who was sitting across from me just stopped and his jaw dropped and he was kind of looking behind me. He wasn't looking at me, he was looking behind me. And there was a TV screen on and I, I just heard my dad say, no way, it can't be, there's no way. And I stopped as well and I turned around and I saw on a TV screen, there was this news coverage going on of a, a helicopter that was crashed on the ground and there was this headline that read, Kobe Bryant basketball star dead at the age of 41. And it floored me in that moment. You see, Kobe was somebody that I admired from afar for a long time, not just because of basketball, but because he, he worked harder than everybody else on the court with him. He had a certain tenacity about him that I could apply to everyday life, even in ministry. And now, out of nowhere, this larger than life figure in my life was gone. And you know what God showed me in that moment as I reflect on it? Three simple words. Life is short. Life is short. Life is brief. And because life is brief, we have to use our time wisely every second we get here on earth wisely. And you know, Kobe Bryant was someone who died 41 years into his life. And at that point, he had accomplished more in his 41 years than many of us dream to accomplish in 80, 90 to 100 but I believe that there's someone in this book called the Bible that accomplished even more than he did in way less time. In 33 years, actually, and his name was Jesus. You see, Jesus lived on this earth for 33 years, three of which he spent doing public ministry. The things that we read about that he said and the things that he did in the Bible. You see, Jesus knew what it meant to live a life of wisdom, understanding that it is temporary and it's brief. Scholars believe that he was indeed crucified and killed around the age of 33. He spent three years doing ministry and he came, he did what he had to do, said what he had to say, and then he exited the scene because he was on a mission. He knew he had limited time here on earth with us and so he made every moment count. But he did all that with wisdom and discernment. This morning, I believe that's what God wants for your life and mine. I want to take you on a journey, if you'll allow me, through the life of Jesus for just a few moments, looking at just a few stories in his life that I believe show us the keys to finding wisdom when it comes to using our time so that all of us can walk out of here knowing how to beat the odds. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be in your house. God, I, I think back to a quote that John Wesley gave that if your people will simply light themselves on fire with passion for the gospel of Jesus Christ. People will come from miles that don't know you just to watch us burn. 
And I pray this morning that would be true for not just me, but everyone in this room and everyone watching online, that as we open the word together now, I pray that you'd move Bryce Holdman's words out of the way so that your word, the, the only word that doesn't return void to your people would be preached with clarity and with passion. I pray that we would all receive what we need to receive this morning to find wisdom and discernment when it comes to using our time on this earth that you've given us, every moment that you give us. I pray that we would learn how to beat the odds. It's in Jesus' name we pray. We give you all the honor, glory, and praise. Amen. Well, if your Bible's currently open to Psalm 90, verse 12, I want to invite you to turn with me to the New Testament. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 9. As I said, we're going to go to three stories this morning. And I believe that in each of these three stories, God gives an answer. But he gives a different answer every time. And in a moment, I believe you're going to receive these answers just like I did this week in preparation for this message as answers that maybe he's giving you today. Maybe he's going to give you tomorrow. Maybe he gave you yesterday. Regardless, God gives three answers, I believe, as it relates to how we are supposed to be using our time here on earth. And the first one's in Matthew chapter 9. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus has just healed a paralyzed man. He just called Matthew the tax collector to be his disciple. And now he just got done teaching about fasting. And starting in verse 18, here's what the Bible has to say. As Jesus was saying this, the leader of a synagogue came and knelt before him. My daughter has just died, he said, but you can bring her back to life again if you just come and lay your hand on her. And so Jesus and his disciples got up and they went with him. But just then a woman who had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding came up behind him. She touched the fringe of his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be healed. Jesus turned around and when he saw her, he said, daughter, be encouraged because your faith has made you well. And the woman was healed at that moment. You see, for some of us, this is a very familiar story. This is one we've read a thousand times. We see on display an example of great faith by this woman. But this morning, I want us to look at this story maybe in a different light than we had ever seen it before. You see, Jesus was on the way to a miracle, but along the way he encountered an opportunity. He had already agreed and locked into his schedule, his heavenly schedule, that he was going to heal this young girl that was in desperate, urgent need of his healing that only he could give her. But then a woman came. And a woman just touched the fringe of his robe. Scholars believe that there would have been many, many people around the crowds around Jesus right now. And so many people could have touched his robe, but he felt it when a woman touched his robe who had been suffering for 12 years. She came onto the scene and he stopped. He was on the way to a miracle, but he encountered an opportunity. And church, I wonder how many of us, if we're honest, like to keep such a busy schedule, such a full schedule, that we haven't left any room for an opportunity that God could bring along the way. And the reason I pose that question is because this is a huge struggle of mine. You see, Jesus understood that in terms of our time, if we truly desire to grow in wisdom and gain wisdom, we first have to learn how to surrender our schedule. We have to surrender our schedule. I remember I was at lunch one time with a friend of mine that I've been pouring into for approximately three to four years. He's my age. He's, he's a young adult that comes to some stuff here at church. And he doesn't have a personal relationship with Christ at the current moment. And so I've, I've been trying to pour into him. I've been trying to allow God to speak into his life in, in such a way that only he can and that he would receive. And a few months ago, I was at lunch here in Lexington with him. 
And it wasn't a super busy day for me, but I remember I, I had something planned that evening and I went to a late lunch with him, thinking it would go for about an hour, an hour and a half. And during the lunch, we, we got into some really good discussion about some really good things. We, 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 we joked around, we talked about life, but then we started talking about some really, really good things related to the Bible and what a relationship with Christ would look like. And I remember clear as day, my phone buzzed in my pocket because it was a reminder telling me that I needed to leave to go to my next thing. And my next thing was simply hanging out with some friends on my old school campus at CIU. And I remember I literally exited the restaurant. He was still there. And I exited the restaurant because I was so concerned. I was more concerned with getting to my next appointment than living in the present moment. You see, this is a struggle of mine, surrendering my schedule. Maybe some of you can relate with that, that maybe you, you, you have such a busy schedule that in order for God to give you wisdom, you've, you've got to move some things out of the way. Or you've got to be okay with God changing your schedule. Now, in my case, I was having lunch with someone who didn't know Jesus yet, as I said, and so what I had was an opportunity to be a witness. But the truth is, opportunities can look a lot of different ways. For some of you, the opportunity coming your way this week is gonna be spending some quality time with a child or grandchild, which is a lot less time than it used to be because of busy schedules. And right now, you have made your schedule look like something, but not right, right in this moment, you have to make the decision to surrender your schedule. God, I know I have some things planned this week. I know I have my whole week planned out already, but I wanna be open to you changing it. And if I start pursuing what my schedule says along the way, encounter something that wasn't planned, would you help me discern how to handle it when it comes? For others of you, the, the opportunity coming your way this week is gonna be someone sitting on the side of the road asking for your help when you're driving to your next destination. You're gonna be on the way to your next scheduled appointment or location, the next thing in your calendar, but what if God is inviting you, hey, surrender your schedule to me so that we can make the most of opportunities like these. You see, here's what Jesus did in this passage because I think at its essence, it's very, very simple. He said yes when he had every right to say no. He wasn't just on the way to another lunch appointment. He wasn't just on the way to another business meeting and he wasn't just on the way to the grocery store for his family. He was on the way to a healing, an urgent healing. And he knew in his mind, I'm the only one that they have put their faith in to come heal this person in their family. And so he's walking along with his disciples, but something inside of him told him to stop. He said yes to the opportunity when he had every right to say no and keep moving, sorry. I know you've been suffering for 12 years. I know it's been painful, but I'm gonna to have to come back. Jesus was able to surrender his schedule. And you know, I used to believe that using my time like Jesus used his time on earth required me saying yes to everything. And then I learned the hard way on many different occasions that then you'll become a yes man, then you'll fill your schedule with more than you can handle, and then you'll get drained. You see, there were times in the Bible, I believe, that Jesus said no. He didn't walk around as a yes man all the time. He said no. I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. This is a different story. And in this story, Jesus is spending some time in Capernaum. And he just got done healing Simon Peter's mother-in-law. And we pick up starting in verse 32. The Bible says that that evening after, after sunset, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. The whole town gathered at the door to watch. 
So Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. But because the demons knew who he was, he didn't allow them to speak. And before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up, and he went out to an isolated place to pray. After Simon Peter and the others went out to find him, they found him, and then they said, Everyone is looking for you, Jesus. But Jesus replied, We must go on to other towns as well. And I'll preach to them too, because that is why I came. For a long time when I read this passage, I breezed right by it because on the surface level, it seems as if Jesus is simply healing a group of people in a town, which is something he commonly did when he walked on this earth, and then he moved on. And while that's all true, the final statement that Jesus makes, I believe, sheds light on two deeper reasons why Jesus could have exited this scene in the way he did and when he did. And the first, I believe, has to do with his humanity and its limitations. You see, we have to remember that while Jesus was fully God, he was also fully man. And therefore, he was able to be a model for us in life. And it's very clear to see that Jesus was not just focused on saving and healing in Capernaum. But he was also focused on many other places and many other people while he was here. And so speaking in human terms, he had to allocate his limited resources effectively. That's the same for us. You see, many of us like to spend time being focused on the poor and those in need, and that is an incredible thing. But at the same time, we have to hold in balance that we have a family to support. We have obligations in our work, in our jobs, in our families. And so sometimes when we say no to something, it isn't unchristlike. It's rather a humble admission that, hey, I'm a limited creature. I'm a limited being. But not only did Jesus leave to show humanity's limitations, I think there's another reason. I think he also could have exited because of what his mission on earth truly was. It's what he says in the very last verse that we just read. He says, we must go on to other towns as well, and I will preach to them too, because that is why I came. That's why I came. That's why Jesus came. You see, if Jesus would have continued healing the people when his disciples came looking for him to do so that morning, he would have run the risk of only being viewed as a healer, only being viewed as a medical miracle worker. But Jesus was here for a higher purpose. He was here to preach and ultimately get on a cross for all humanity. But many around during this scene wanted the healing from Jesus, but they didn't want to repent of their sins, change their ways and follow him. And I wonder how many of us have been extremely, extremely open to receiving God's healing power. But we have been reluctant to accept the change in the molding that he wants to do in our life. And the reason we haven't accepted it is because we know that it's going to take a lot of our time. We're going to have to dedicate a lot of time to let God do that. You see, as I mentioned earlier, we live in a quick fix, immediate type of culture. That's made clear in many different ways, especially on social media. But when it comes to our walk with Christ, I think we all have to come to this conclusion today that God is not in a hurry. God's not in a hurry. And because, not, because God's not in a hurry, that means we don't have to be in a hurry. And it's really hard for Bryce Holdman to accept that he doesn't have to be in a hurry when he knows he has limited time on this earth. But it's a lot easier for me to accept when I know that God's not in a hurry, when I can 
See, proven to me in Scripture that God's not in a hurry. When Jesus had 33 years on this earth, three years to do the ministry that he did, he accomplished so much, but he wasn't in a hurry. God's not in a hurry. We have to learn the art of patience as well. And in fact, this leads to the last answer I believe that God gives in the life of Jesus and in many of our lives as well when it comes to how we use our time. You see, we've, we've seen Jesus say yes when he had every right to say no. And we've also seen that there's going to be times when we say no when the situation around us just makes sense to say yes. But there's a story in John chapter 11 that I'd invite you to turn with if you've got a Bible. It's, it's the story of another miracle, John chapter 11. And this one involves a guy named Lazarus. And starting in verse 1, here's what the Bible says. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. And so the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus's sickness will not end in death. No, it, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, he stayed right where he was for two days, the next two days. He stayed right where he was for the next two days. You see, here we've got another opportunity in Jesus' life. Mary and Martha know that their brother is sick, very, very, very sick, and he's on the verge of dying. And more importantly, they know the one man who they've seen can heal him. And so they reach out to Jesus, begging him to come, but for some reason, Jesus stays right where he is. Jesus didn't say yes. We know that later in the story, he eventually goes, and so Jesus didn't say no. Instead, he said, wait, wait. You see, Mary and Martha's timetable for their brother's life didn't include the word wait because they knew that he didn't have long to live. They knew that his time on this earth was getting very short. And when Jesus finally shows up to the scene, after four days of Lazarus being in his grave as a dead man, Martha runs up to Jesus and said, Jesus, if only you would have been here when we asked you to come. My loved one, Lazarus, he would still be alive today. And church, when I read this story, I've, I've never heard the audible voice of God before, but I felt as if the Holy Spirit whispered something so clearly to me that I'd never seen before. And it's that if Jesus, if Jesus would have gone when Mary and Martha invited him to go to Lazarus, what would have taken place would most likely have been a healing, but not a resurrection. You see, Jesus has healed thousands of people up until this point. And so everything leads us to believe that if he would have gone on Mary and Martha's timetable, there would have been yet another healing that many had seen before, but no one has seen a resurrection. And so because he waited, because Jesus waited, it allowed him to roll up on the scene after Lazarus being dead for four days and walk into the grave of a dead man, which the Jewish belief system believes that the soul of someone had departed from that person after being dead four days. After the three-day mark, there was absolutely no way. This was a non-negotiable at this point. There was no way 
that this dead man could ever come back to life because the soul was no longer with him. But nonetheless, Jesus rolls up because he waited after four days onto the scene and he walks into that same grave and he says, Lazarus, I know you can hear me and I'm asking you, I'm inviting you at the sound of my voice, I'm commanding you to come out of this grave right now and live once again. And when Lazarus got up and he walked out of the grave, there were people all around that were amazed. People were stunned. They had never seen anything like this before. And here's what God was able to show his people right when that happened. I'm not just a God who came to heal you, I'm a God who brings dead things back to life. And I wonder how many of us have been inviting God pleading with God, asking God desperately to heal some part of us. I wonder how many of us have been asking God to heal a loved one that's currently in the hospital. We know their time on earth is short and we're in the same position as Mary and Martha were in. God, would you come heal? And we're confused as to why God's saying wait. We're confused just like Mary and Martha were. God, I don't understand. And we're tempted to take matters into our own hands. We're tempted to try to make it happen on our own, on our own timetable, on our own schedule, in our own ways. But maybe today God's reminding you from this story and in your life right now, it's often in the waiting that I give you wisdom. It's in the waiting that I give wisdom. If you're wanting to gain wisdom regarding how to use your time wisely, regarding how to use your time living in the present moment, I think it has to start with laying a foundation of understanding the importance of God's weight in our lives. Sometimes the answer is going to be a resounding yes. Sometimes the answer may be no. But oftentimes the answer is simply, I need you to wait. You see, if Jesus would have gone on Mary and Martha's timetable to heal Lazarus, what would have taken place was something great. Amazing. But because he waited, he allowed people to experience God's best. And God's best was resurrection. It's something no one had seen before. And it showed people in that moment, that very moment, that he was indeed the son of God because no one else could have brought this man back to life like you just did. Maybe God's telling you today, I, I need you to wait. There was a class I took at CIU my senior year. It was called Wisdom Literature. And our final project was to pick any book within the wisdom literature category segment of scripture and write about it, anything we wanted. And I chose the book of Ecclesiastes. And within the book of Ecclesiastes, the writer is writing about the things that he had experienced in life. He looked around him and wrote down everything he saw, everything he heard. And he came to a certain conclusion at the end of the book about what he had experienced in this world. It's five, six simple words. He says, fear God and obey his commands. He says, I, I, I look to my right, I look to my left, I look before me and behind me, and I see certain things. I see chaos, I see frustration, I see anger, I see hatred, I see turmoil. And so I've come to the conclusion that in order for me to use my time wisely, the wisest I could, I have to fear God, and then I have to obey his commands. With every answer that Jesus gave in the stories we read today, whether it was a yes, a no, or a wait, I believe he modeled what this is meant to look like in our lives. He was able to enter this world and do what he had to do, say what he had to say, and then exit the scene by saving us from our sins on the cross and then getting up three days later. 
he was able to display the victory found in God's timing. That was the best use of his time here. And when Jesus got to the end of his life here on earth, he was hanging on a cross. And in that moment, his disciples knew exactly what he stood for. Because his disciples were thinking back to the miracles they had seen him work. They were thinking back to the time that Jesus said, wait for some reason, but he raised a man from the dead that no one else could ever do. They were thinking back to the authoritative teaching they had heard him speak to many people. They were thinking back to all the moments they shared with this Jesus. And even at the world's lowest moment as defined in Jesus' life, they knew exactly what he stood for. They knew exactly what kind of legacy he was going to leave. This morning, I believe that we have the opportunity to determine day by day and moment by moment what kind of legacy God is able to leave through our lives. And it's going to be done by fearing him and obeying his commands every chance we get. The reality is none of us can guarantee when the end of our lives is going to come. For some of us, it's going to be longer than we assume. For others, it may be shorter. There's only one person that knows. And so because of that truth, we have to come to the conclusion that the greatest use of our time is going back to the basics, is loving people when the world tells us to hate them, is by fearing God when the world tells us to fear many other things. It's by obeying God's commands when the world points us in thousands of other directions. That's the best use of our time. That's the best use of Jesus's time. That's the best use that God wants out of your life. I believe that. And a few years ago, I was caught up in this thought process, not knowing when my time here on earth would end. And I came across this well-known verse. It's in 2 Timothy verse 7 of chapter 4. Paul is nearing the end of his life. He's the writer. He's nearing the end of his life. He knows it. He can sense it. And he's reflecting on his life. And he's writing to Timothy, a young pastor. And he says, Timothy, there are three things that I was able to accomplish that I can speak in confidence. And it's in verse 7. He says, I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. And I've kept the faith. You see, amidst all the things that Paul accomplished in his life, amidst the power of Christ that he was able to see in his life, through his life, he highlighted the fact that he had fought the good fight, he finished the race, and he had kept the faith. Those are the words that I desperately want to be able to recite when my time here on earth is coming to a close, regardless of when it is. But the only way that I get there, the only way that you get there, church, is by obeying God's yes by obeying God's no, and even by obeying God's wait. By fearing God and obeying his commands. That's my challenge for us today. You know, Jesus was able to discern what the answer needed to be in each given scenario because of his intimacy with the Father. He spent time off one-on-one -on -one with his Father because that's where he knew discernment would be found. Because in order to find discernment, you have to eliminate distractions. That's what Jesus was able to do and he modeled for us so beautifully. And maybe this week you and God need to spend some quality time together. Maybe the best use of your time this week is simply getting on your knees and saying, God, I am a broken creature that has many sins in their past, maybe many sins in their present. I don't know what I'm stepping into next, but I'm believing that you're a good God. I'm believing that you will use my time wiser than I ever could if I'll only submit my everything to you. 
if I'll only seek to surrender my schedule when it doesn't make sense. If I'll learn that wisdom's often found in the waiting, that's when I believe God will grant you what you've been seeking. That's what I believe will spark the wisest use of your time that you could ever find in this world. All distractions aside, all disappointments behind, just you and God devoted to one another. I wanna challenge you to ask God what's keeping your schedule so tight with no room for an opportunity and inviting him to help you find wisdom by following his timetable every day rather than your own and rather than the world around you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the time that you give us here on earth. We know it's limited. We don't know when exactly it will end, but we wanna make the most of it in every moment for your sake. I pray for those of us right now in this room and watching online that don't have a personal relationship with you and they've, they've heard about what you did for them today. They've heard about who you are through the power of Jesus Christ on this earth and through the power of the Holy Spirit in this room, in their room, and they wanna learn more. I pray that you would help them take the, nece the necessary steps in this moment to submit everything they've got to you, to accept what you've done for them and to invite you to give them new life. God, thank you that through the story of Lazarus, you show us that you're not just someone who came to heal what was broken or restore what was broken. You're someone who came to bring dead things in our life back to life. That Jesus, you, you got on a cross to show us the only way to abundant life was following your ways. And I pray that as we walk out of here in confidence, we would walk out of here knowing two things. Number one, we would, we would know how to beat the odds in our time. We know how to use our time wisely, but we would also know that when we ask you for certain things, when we ask you for wisdom to know how to beat the odds, you promise in scripture to give generously without finding fault. God, if you allow us to have another moment when we exit this place, I pray that, that we would use that moment to chase after you with everything we've got, to seek you above all else. Would you remind us in this moment as we close in our time of worship, that you are the only one worthy of our praise and you're the only one that makes a schedule worth following. I pray that we'd receive that and we wouldn't just receive it, we would implement it and we'd even share it today. Lord, we give you all the honor, the praise and the glory that you alone are worthy of. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.